0: Hello and welcome to Rocket's Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace and DoorDash. I'm Simone de Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Brianna Wu, Executive Director of Rebellion Pack, and Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft and a holder of a potential uh, pooping unit... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Auntie Nina is
1: is on the podcast. Uh, I apologize, listeners. I am at my sister's house in Atlanta. I forgot the stupid micro, not mini, or maybe it is mini. I don't know, whatever the bigger but harder to find USB cable is. It was in my bag for forever, but you know, 14 months of no travel. I don't know where it went. So my little tiny mic disappeared. So I'm using A, I'm using headphones, which suck. And B, I have A one month old baby, literally, like, he's my arm is extended. He's on the floor. I'm also on the floor, but he's looking up at his mobile and um, I'm trying to feed him. So, apologies. If you hear any gurgles or whatnot, that's what this is.
0: Welcome to uh, work from home life (laughs) with family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure anyone who has kids who over the past year has had to work remotely understands what you're up to right now. And we'll hopefully sympathize. That's me being, that's me threatening you listeners. I love you guys. Uh,
2: (laughs) I I do have to say, no, the the three of us on this car, on this call or any of these people, because we all have that child free uh, lifestyle. So,
0: (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into today's show. We've got a couple, no, we've got three whole, pretty hard tech topics this week, uh, which is why Christina does not get the night off. <laughs> 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 we've got a GPU review. Uh, we've got an an interesting tech purchase. Oh, not one that any of us have made. Uh, and then we've got a fantastic story from Vice about uh, video game cheats to close out the night. But first, oh, let's get so started. It's, it's so good. good.
2: My it's so good. It's unbelievably good.
0: So stay tuned for that, listeners. But first... Listen up, Nvidia. Oh, they're back. (laughs) Nvidia is launching a new GPU, the RTX 3080 Ti, a sequel to the plain old 3080. Uh, This is a GPU which will cost $1,199 before scalpers and crypto miners get their hands on it. Uh, The 3080, which was last year's card, uh, was I think the first card to do like affordable 4K gaming, it cost only $700. That was a year ago before everything changed. Uh, So reviews of this card so far are pretty positive. The Verge says the intention is basically to perform similar to the 3090, the much more expensive 3090, but in a smaller form and with only 12 gigabytes of VRAM. Uh, But good luck. To anyone, as always, who wants to purchase a GPU right now because the chip shortage lives on and we are not going to see the end of it anytime soon. But it does mean that NVIDIA has three pretty darn good top of the line graphics cards out there right now, Um, if anyone can find them.
2: So there are like two parts of this card to talk about. And Christy, I know you have strong opinions on the second. So I want to I want yeah. box that discussion for the end. But it is true that this uh, card, along with the uh, 3070 uh, Ti, uh, limits the, the hash rate on it. Uh, but first, I want to kind of like focus on the performance of this card. It is a slight upgrade to the, the 3080 that came out. Out before, uh, and the performance of it is, is nearly uh, it, it can rival the 3090. It's so good. It does require a lot more power, uh, so you're going to need a really good uh, you know, power unit in your machine, but uh, it's, it's noticeably, noticeably quiet according to every single reviewer, and uh, it, it looks like a really good, I don't want to say successor, but almost the the Switch Pro, you know what I mean, to the, to the original 3090. 80. They yeah. also noted that this card uh, is very, very uh, uh, dependent for the maximum uh, performance on NVIDIA's uh, deep learning super sampling technology. And basically what this does is it uh, does very dynamic lighting by uh, getting a small sample and then doing deep learning to apply it to a large resolution texture with some deep learning tricks. It's a very uh, convincing effect. But overall, this looks like a winner i wish i felt more faith that people were going to be able to get it
1: yeah so okay first of all um just note for the listeners because i do have things to say on this and we now have a poopy diaper situation which <laughs> it happened this, it happened this is literally my nightmare my sister's not here i've never done one of these so this is going to be fun for everyone okay um <laughs> like so many I'm things i'm so sorry wrong if
0: you need to pop out um no no we no understand. we're gonna do this
1: no, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Um, okay, so the thing with this card is I have I have like three thoughts. We'll get into the third thought so that you kind of mentioned the the crypto nerfing at the end. That's that's my least interesting thing. So when this card was originally announced, so NVIDIA does this where they release like their their main cards, and then the, the 80 is usually like their big flagship, and then they come out with a TI like six months later. And that's what they've done in this case. This card was rumored all the way back, I think. We were sitting, see- we were seeing rumors maybe even in October, which is when the 3080 came out of what the 3080 TI might look like. We were seeing leaks, like better leaks in December. We were seeing part leaks and stuff and specs, you know, January. Originally, from everything that I've been able to ascertain, and this is going based on like people who have better contacts than I do. This was originally going to be a 20 gigabyte um, VRAM card. So it was going to be even more competitive with the 3090. Uh, the, the one knock that some people have against the 3080 is that it only has 10 gigabytes of VRAM. Now AMD mm-hmm. and on their lower end cards, and I think NVIDIA has you know, done this too, they add up the VRAM and they, they, they make people think like that's a big deal. I don't think the 10 gigabytes is actually that much of a bottleneck. But, you know, going from 10 to 24, those are your two options. This one's only going to 12. The rumors that everything that I've read is that supply chain, as with everything else, they can't get the memory chips. They can't get them. So they had to basically cut down what originally they were going to do with the TI and put it at 12 gigs instead of 20. Now, that does, in my opinion, change the value proposition for this card quite a bit because you're looking at, yes, the core count um, for some of the CUDA stuff is going to be closer to the 3090. Some of those other frequencies are going to be close to a 3090, but a lot of like with the RAM and some of the other things, it's still going to be really close to a 3080. Normally, this, you know, might not be as big of a thing, but A, as you said, you can't get a 3080. B, the MSRP on this, NVIDIA basically did a total 180 from what they did when these cards came out last year. So not only have these cards been impossible to get because everybody wants a card, putting crypto stuff aside, you know, gamers have been waiting years to upgrade. People are really Mm -hmm. getting into PC building now, but the price on the cards was way, way lower than what both Nvidia and AMD had done the generation before. So when you looked at the 2080, which came out or the 2080 super that came out, um, you know, like in, in 2018, 2019, those cards uh, were, you know, eleven, twelve hundred dollars $1,200, whereas the MSRP, not that anyone has been able to buy it for this, but the MSRP on the 3080 is $699 for the Founders Edition. I think I got mine for $850, which was after they'd raised the MSRP, but that's still like probably a third or a fourth of what most people are paying for a 3080 these days. Um, and so this card to go from a $699 MSRP to 1199 MSRP. It's a pretty big jump. It's a really big jump. And so my issue with it is it's a good card and there's nothing wrong with it. But NVIDIA is more than taking advantage of the price gouging um, that the rest of the industry has seen where they are raising the MSRP on this thing like an insane amount. Like they, they are, they are going leaps and bounds higher than what you would um, normally expect for this sort of thing. Like what if the $200, like usually you would see like a $200 thing. Now you're getting, you know, $500 that's before the scalper markup. Um, and and then the, you're looking at like a 10% performance boost. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's not a bad card if you can get it, but I am a little personally annoyed that the price is so much higher MSRP because I don't think that's going to stop scalpers from still charging $2,000, $2,500, 3000 for this card.
0: I mean, I, I think it definitely, nothing is going to stop scalpers from, from charging ridiculous amounts for these cards. But I guess it, it kind of makes sense to me since there is a huge shortage and since they are in such high demand, it does kind of make sense for me for NVIDIA to be charging more. I, I guess the question is like whether whether that particular gap between the price for the 3080 and the 3080 Ti is actually worth that that price gap yeah
2: i'm right there with you Simone and i i think there's a good argument that this particular card is worth $1200 if you can get MSRP which you will not be able to yeah that's to. the thing <laughs> I, I think i think there's an arguable defense of that but i think this that point is very well taken Christine. these these prices have just skyrocketed over this generation. Yes, there's flooding. Yes, there's a chip shortage. Yes, it's affecting a lot of industries. But... I think you really do have to ask if they're taking advantage of the situation. If they are resetting this for a generation from now, and this is the new normal of what you're expected to pay for kind of the, I don't want to say the baseline, but you know what I mean? This is the this is the workhorse truck of graphics cards. Like if you ask no, somebody no, no, what no, they want. No, yeah. no, no, no.
0: Th-
1: this is the high-end gaming card. I want to be really clear on that. The workhorse truck of graphics cards is the 3060, the 3060 Ti. The 3070, 3070 Ti is what your like, you know, mid to high range would be. Your 3080, your 3080 Ti, 3080 Super, if that were to come out, those are your highest end. Those are those are like the people who are building the most badass system they can get. I I hear what you're saying.
2: I I don't agree with that. I think I mean, look, I think for for gamers,
1: I'm for, for gamers. That's how the that's how the series goes. Like. That's that's how it goes. Like it, it, the 3080 is always the top tier. The 3090 was a surprise this year. But like the 3080 is I, I don't want to call it workhorse because I don't want people who are listening who might not be into this to think. I have to buy a thousand dollar graphics card to get into gaming because that's not accurate at all.
2: I um, don't agree with that. Uh, this is where I'm coming from with this. The people that I hang out with, uh, you know, like, uh, for instance, unreal, uh, engine five dropped this week, uh, the preview of it. Um, I think if you're looking for the card to do, you know, uh, basically deep learning stuff, uh, uh, compositing with, uh, you know, uh, like basically the technique where, did you see that special effects video where they put uh, Luke Skywalker's face? They recomposited that last uh, shot at the end of uh, Mandalorian. Uh, they used like a 3090 uh, card actually for that. So for the stuff I'm thinking about, which isn't just normal gaming, but using these graphic cards for, you know, work. Uh, yeah, that's no, what I would I'm... agree
1: with that. No, okay, and fine, fine, fair enough. If you're talking about like professional stuff, fair enough, but, but, but these, these are, these are targeted gaming cards. Like the 3090 is this weird card in that it's kind of a professional card, but they put it in the gaming skew. The 3080 though, that, that series and the, the TIs, the supers, those have always been, you know, the, the big things for, for, for gamers really most, and most importantly. Um And, and this is a good card. And I think you're right. You could make an argument. It's worth $1,200. I think my only issue is when you're talking about NVIDIA saying still, that the msrp for the founders edition of the 3080 is 699 that to me like i almost feel like if you wanted to do this you should have raised the price of the 3080 msrp like you should have done that if you wanted to reset things because instead all i can think about is that if you are somebody who spent way more money on a 2080 series and then nvidia talked about how they were lowering the price and making it accessible for all gamers I realize that there were global events that went into this, but it still feels like this kind of, I don't know, to me it feels like it's, it's taking advantage a little bit. Um, and, and I, I would fear that if, if we go into like the 4,000 series, I will be very surprised if they don't just, you know, throw all that off the window and be like, we're going to charge as much as we can charge for the cards. But I, I think what Which, we're getting from
0: this is that for a like regular gamer who maybe doesn't want to mess around with 4K, but just wants to be able to play good looking games with, decent graphics the tw- the 20 or sorry yeah the 2080 is the the workhorse but if you're a professional the or the 3060 sorry the 3060 is the workhorse but for a professional like brie even at the low end of the, like that professional scale this would right. be the like the standard entry point is that kind of what you're getting at brie um
1: i would say the 3080 is your standard entry point if you could find this this would be better I do have a couple concerns. So the chips on the 3080 are, are the memory chips are notoriously hot. And in fact, some of the manufacturers, like Gigabyte, who makes my card, people are repasting them and are basically putting on different thermal pads to try to get the the, the heat down so they can have better performance. They're still within spec, but they're getting really, really hot. And this has been kind of a known thing um the chips on this one are even hotter like tom warren in his review for the verge mentioned that the card was really really hot to the touch long after this shocked me actually
0: i have the numbers on this because i I was completely shocked so he said that uh like when he went to swap this out he physically could not touch it because it was too hot and he clocked it at 80 degrees celsius which is apparently i just looked it up and then immediately forgot the number 176 degrees fahrenheit um, so it, it runs quiet, but the cost is it also runs quite hot.
1: Well, which is an issue they had with the, the 2080 Ti. And and again, like I said, people have had this issue, but it hasn't had any performance impact. And to my knowledge, nobody's had to gets prepared, but people have been replacing the, the thermal pads on their 3080s because of those memory chips. So with a 3080 Ti, the fact that it's using the same size cooler and they put more chips that were already running hot on this thing anyway. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have I have some questions about that from a design perspective. This is a founder's edition, which means they're not technically saying it's a reference model, but this is what the other uh, uh, card, um, like uh, the AIBs will be using to make their cards. Yeah. We'll see if some of them maybe add some other stuff.
2: Simone, to answer the question you were asking, like, how does this, uh, how would this affect a professional pipeline? So one of the things that Unreal Engine 5 uh, is doing really, really well is uh, they're kind of trying to like expand it to be uh, everything from like lower ending, uh, lower end games to be all for like they use it to literally make the Mandalorian. Uh, and one of the things you're seeing is a lot of uh, uh, dynamic textures. You don't have to sit there and plan in Unreal Engine nowadays, like this is going to be a 512 mip map or, you know, a 40k texture. It does all that mm-hmm. on the fly. This, I think, is a particularly good card for uh, for 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 game development uh, because of that mm-hmm. particular for the upgrades that they put into this. They they load all the materials into memory when you're working in the Unreal Visual Editor. And from my experience this week, like I would sit there and tweak the VRAM with it. This was very, very dependent on a lot of things in uh, the engine as far as baking materials, doing light bakes, all of that. So, uh, again, I think it's really hard because you've got the gaming end of the market, you've got the crypto part of the market, and you've got the professional part of the market. Um, I think this is a really, really good place to start from the upgrades I've seen.
0: Do you think you're going to be getting one if it if you can? <laughs> no, but, uh, Christina, I have a thirty ninety, which is better. Yeah, so. oh yeah, <laughs> she, she has cars. the There's best no car. No point to it. Yeah, I keep no, forgetting that y'all have the uh, the high end, <laughs> the high end well, goods.
1: I don't. I've got the thirty eighty, um, my but, but if you wanted to ask me, am I going to try to sell my thirty eighty to the thirty eighty ti? For me, the answer right now is no. A, I don't think that I would necessarily be able to get one. B. For the price premium for me right now, I mean, try me in a year, right? Like, I could see upgrading then. Right now, I don't, it, it's not an upgrade for, for what I would do. I also personally, and this is what my own bias here, and I'm not doing any crypto stuff, but they've nerfed the crypto on it. And I think that's actually pretty gross for a $1,200 card to limit like one way that you can use your card. I'm still, will, will I'm that not DRN, potentially period. make
0: it more readily available though if it's no. not? Oh yeah, I'm gonna interesting. I, 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 I
1: honestly don't think I honestly don't think it will because A, the I don't think that the supply issues are the crypto fault. I mean, I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. The bigger thing, I mean, for me honestly, is that they're now splitting their chips across, you know, three different lines. You've got your standard 3080 SKUs or, or, or 3070 SKUs or whatever, you've got the nerfed ones, because now they're releasing versions of the 3080 and the 3070 that have the crypto miner firmware installed, which is a whole other thing. Then you've got the crypto only cards they're selling. And now you've got like these TI cards for the 3070 and the 3080 that
0: have that hash thing in place. So
1: I don't know, like to me,
0: I get why they're doing it. I, I, get, I guess my question, my opinion on this is going to kind of depend on one thing, and that's whether whether we think that people, whether what they have done to nerf it will make it less energy efficient should people choose to use it to mine crypto. Um, because I imagine that people would, um, just because, it, it, you know, p- this not the only reason why people are hoarding graphics cards right now, but it's one of the reasons. And if nerfing it means that the people who will inevitably use it to mine crypto will be less energy efficient than they already are, then I'm like, eh. yeah. But I, on a, I guess, purely theoretical level, certainly do not have a problem with companies' putting barriers between people and doing more crypto mining. Uh, I mean, if they're doing it in a way that just makes it inevitably more harmful, then it's like, "Eh, no, no, thank you.
1: I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I'm firmly against DRM of any sort of this. I think that especially when you've already released cards that have this feature and when you're going in after the fact and you're saying this one particular thing, we're saying that you can do all this deep learning stuff, you can do all this AI and ML stuff. But you can't do this other type of compute. Like, I have a real problem with companies basically dictating what you can do on your card. I, I mean, I, I understand the, the you know, people, gamers want cards. I understand some of the environmental things. I'm going to be honest with you. To me, it, it, it's superseded by, like, don't put DRM in cards. I, I, I don't like it.
2: I I couldn't agree with you more. We actually have some numbers on how much these NERFs uh, affect this. Uh, So right now, uh, forget, I think it's the hash rate, the 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 mega hash rate. They've got some term to quantify all of this. But on a normal uh, 3080 card uh, before the nerf, uh, it is about 100. Uh, on this particular uh, card, it will put out about 40. Uh, so cutting that in half. Um, Christina, my thoughts on this absolutely mirror yours uh, for multiple reasons. First, this is a billion-dollar industry. If you don't think they're going to find a way to flash the firmware <laughs> and and just get around this, you're just living in a fool's paradise. It's going to last two seconds. A, um, you know. B, I agree with you philosophically. It's just. It's, 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 it's uncool. Yeah. Frankly, uh, I've made, I do mine. I just run that nice hash when I'm not using my mega computer. And I've made an ungodly amount of money from that. Like it's coming, I will cross the actual amount I spent on the 3090 pretty soon at the rate I'm going. Like this is profitable. And I just, yeah, I think if someone has that card, maybe they they have that option in front of them i think that's something they're paying for and they should have that i i've always wanted to know this and this is like a chip architecture question like so it's specifically the dagger hashimoto function that they're limiting inside of 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 the chip itself Um, And this is a very, it's not like in graphics, this is a function we use to calculate light or whatever. This is a very specific mathematical function that we use to uh, validate uh, Ethereum and tokens. And I've always wanted to know, is this like, you know, something built into, is it built into the chip where it's a function that they're doing, or is it a client that gets loaded onto it and it's very efficient? Like, I've always wanted to know how that part of it works with the architecture.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, If if listeners, if you have any insight, um, I'd be interested in knowing that, too. I I do know that there have been some people who have, and I think these are valid concerns that are, okay, you're nerfing this um, algorithm. What impact does that have if you're trying to do some of this deep learning stuff and AI and ML stuff and, and CUDA stuff, which are all things that NVIDIA... Touts that the card is good for, like, is that going to be negatively impacted? And and you know, I don't know what the answer to that is, but certainly that's that should be part of anybody's calculus. and Probably not for new buyers because they just want to get a card. But if you already have like a 3080, for instance, I think that this makes it an even harder upgrade for for some potential upgrade for somebody to say because you're now giving up something you had for like you know five to ten percent graphics improvement.
2: Right. Because if it's like a, a client for Dagger Hashimoto, they're loading onto it and they're running it. And how are they doing? Are they detecting that? Or is it a function that's built into the chip itself? Like if they are limiting that, I cannot imagine that it's not going to have consequences for other things. And yeah, this is just, I mean, we don't have an R. Tech now, uh, Ars Technica, you know, tear down on this, really evaluating what the consequences of this, um, you know, is to the entire card yet. So I just, um, I have no faith it's going to bring down the prices. I have no faith it's going to increase availability. And I just think it's ethically wrong.
0: All right, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website, You start with a professionally designed template and use drag and drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and more with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile, which is so friggin' important. Your content automatically adjusts so it will look great on any device. You'll also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and they'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you'll have everything you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new website, to showcase your work with their incredible portfolio designs, to publish your next blog post, to promote your business, to announce an upcoming event, and so much more. I really can't speak more highly of the automatic mobile optimization, uh, just being able to, because I, you know, most people, statistically, most people will access your access, access your website From their phones. However, obviously, we're all tweaking them on our computers, looking at at them on our big, beautiful screens being like, ah, yes, my lovely page with images are perfect. And I have everything just the way I want it to be able to, you know, do that and have that fun and then go to your phone and be like, this looks fine now that I don't need, I didn't ruin anything accidentally. It just automatically scales properly and the layout like unrolls in the appropriate way. You don't have to freak out about ruining things uh, for the mobile experience, which again, is how most people use your website. Uh, So can't speak more highly of that. Head to squarespace.com slash rocket for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code rocket, to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That is again, squarespace.com slash rocket. And then when you decide to sign up, use the offer code rocket to get 10% off of your first purchase and show your support for us here at the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of FM. Da 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 da! I didn't see the make your next move, make your next website jingle. I don't know if they're still doing that. Maybe they're not doing it anymore. I don't know. Maybe they were like, ah, she nailed it and won. I guess we can move on from this slogan. Well, we'll find out. Anyway, all right. Now on to the big exciting tech purchase news. No, Christina doesn't have a new computer. Uh, <laughs> no, Brianna didn't buy a new like electric flying car. Uh, Process is buying Stack Overflow for $1.8 million dollars. Million, so mi- billion. I said million. It's billion. It's billion? I literally looked at the article and it said million. <laughs> no, 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 no. It is billion? Oh, billion. That's an even bigger number. <laughs> Stack Overflow is of course the the online software development community with over 100 million monthly users asking, answering, coding questions. Process, uh, I know less about personally, but it is a European tech company. That is one of the largest shareholders of Tencent, which is, of course, one of the most successful Chinese gaming companies. Uh, in April, ProSys sold some of its stake in Tencent for $14.6 billion, with a B. That one, I definitely got correct, dollars, <laughs> which is a ridiculously large number. Um, and so far, the biggest purchase that they've made uh, following that move is buying Stack Overflow. But they also have uh, stakes in Udemy and Code Academy which are also software education companies. Um, Wall Street Journal is reporting this, the stack overflow purchase is kind of part of a larger bet on software education, which is already a very valuable sector, but they're basically saying now that people are working remotely, possibly with more permanence than before, um, you know, some people are going back into the office, but some people are not, um, that this this sector will continue to appreciate in value as people need these skills to continue their remote work since they won't have, you know, 24 seven access to an IT team or a tech team at their jobs. Um, They'll be remote. So this is it's it's very interesting and very unexpected and possibly has big ramifications for you know, the hundreds of millions of people who just use Stack Overflow to do their jobs or to (laughs) communicate with other people who, you know, share things in common with them.
2: So at its core, developing is a, is about feeling stupid.
0: <laughs> like it's googling. It's googling. Just, tr- just it's like podcasting.
1: Feeling,
2: yeah, exactly. It's about feeling stupid and not being able to figure something out and googling Stack Overflow. Um, I I I would dare say. Stack Overflow is probably the most important development resource that exists um, period. it is it is that critical. If uh if someone who programs for a living tells you they don't use it, they are lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is really critical. And yeah, Christina, I didn't really understand uh you said something really interesting. We were doing the show the pre-show planning, which was this is so interesting because the way Stack Overflow makes money currently is they have like an enterprise product for uh, people within the team to ask questions for their internal development. But that's not really where the value is. The reason this is worth billions is because of the community. And I, I just, um, I, I think that's really interesting. And it, it also, I have some extreme fears uh, based on that.
1: Yeah, no. So the reason I wanted to talk about this, even though I don't know how many of our listeners use Stack Overflow, if you've ever done even remote, even even troubleshooting with anything with the command line, you've run across Stack Overflow resources. Uh, It was started in 2008 by um, Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood, who were two kind of the, the seminal kind of like early 2000s, like computer, like program bloggers, like they, they wrote, you know, about like the art of programming and, and it was like them and, and, and John Gruber and, and, and DHH, uh, uh, who, uh, we've had on the show before blocked me on Twitter, like Jason free, like there were a number of, of kind of people who wrote and Neil dash people who wrote not just about, um, you know, like their interests and stuff, but kind of like the art of coding and, It was this community that there'd been, um, I think it was experts exchange was something, but it had a lot of problems. And when they started it in 2008, I think a lot of us were maybe not skeptical, but didn't realize that it would take off the way that it has. But if you are trying to find an answer to almost anything, there's a good chance that someone has asked a similar question on Stack Overflow. And they have really active and deep communities in almost every programming topic And then, as you said, they have the the internal Teams products that that they, you know, that's how they try to make money, where they have kind of their internal things. But it's the community that really makes it so powerful. And the community, for better or worse, has been, you know, it's largely volunteer-led. It's similar to Wikipedia, where you have a lot of people who spend a lot of time uh, for free, frankly, you know, answering questions, moderating stuff, kind of keeping things in line, um, you know, uh, cataloging and tagging questions so that people can find stuff and uh the community is really special and and some of the uh specific you know programming communities especially know that people get a lot out of it so when i look at a purchase like this the way i think of it is when yahoo bought tumblr and and it was a similar thing it was over a billion dollars and they bought tumblr and they were ostensibly buying the user base they were ostensibly buying the traffic but what the real value of tumblr was and i don't think that I'm not sure if Marissa Meyer understood that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Verizon certainly did not. Okay, she may have, but Verizon certainly did not. And it was, it was the community. And you could see what happened to Tumblr when they didn't weren't given the resources and when like the community kind of faltered and they made anti-community decisions. I think they've come back since then, but many, many, many people have left. So like you, Bri, I have reservations because on the one hand, I'm really happy for anyone who works at Stack Overflow who is getting to you know reap some rewards out of this. I think um Jeff Atwood said that there were 61 new millionaires because of of the deal, which is amazing. And and probably many more people who, you know, got, you know, um some other amount of money, less than a million dollars, but still got something else out of it. And I think that's great for those employees. But for the community, I don't know what this this new I mean, they're kind of like a private equity firm. I don't know what they're going to do with it. And that that's my concern because this is one of those products where if the community is not there, and if they're not made happy, they will leave. And those mods and those like hardcore users are the people that keep it going.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and I want to get really specific about some of my fears uh, about this, because I don't, I don't want to talk about this amorphously. I want to kind of talk about the history of some of the related groups of, uh, is, it, is it process? Is that how you say the, the company that bought them?
0: If it's not, then I deeply apologize to <laughs> any Dutch people listening to this yeah. who <laughs> I have mispronounced a, a company name. But in okay, front
2: of. so so process at its core, this is a global investment group, right? They they look at certain sectors and they dump tons of money in that. Um, the the thing they're most associated with that I know the best is Tencent from the video game industry, and. All respect to any of my friends that may work for a ten cent uh, subsidiary, but I just want to kind of go through some of the things that that ten cent has done to the gaming industry. Uh, they're they're famous for uh, getting into a a sector, looking at a game, and just straight up copying it. Um, They've had, uh, they initiate very aggressive legal battles uh, with anyone uh, doing anything even close to a 10-cent property, which is ironic because they do that to (laughs) others. And this will tie into our dessert. Uh, You know, they were more than anyone else in our field, I think I would argue, uh, one of the top pioneers in this microtransaction hell that we find ourselves in. Uh, They... Specialized in competitive knockoffs, and you know uh, there also there have been a lot of allegations about their use of user data and the the insecurity of that. You know, all these decisions are kind of made to uh, uh, boost up the the bottom line. And I can tell you firsthand, there are people that have worked that I'm very good friends with. They've worked for Tencent-owned studios. They've walked away from that experience. Uh, really feeling like they couldn't do their best work because Tencent was so much more interested in the bottom line than any kind of uh, real creative endeavor. And I just worry a lot with Stack Overflow. They would not be investing in this if the end game was not to squeeze more juice out of the lemon right? So how are you going to do that? I don't think it's going to come from paying the community, like the people that do all this great content, <laughs> giving them paid positions. Um, I think it's going to come from selling the data more freely and and charging people for it. And I think that's, I, I'm really worried because if I, if I wanted to take away a tool that was critical for us to develop and maintain software in the United States, uh, a nuke stack overflow. Like it's that important.
0: It's, in, it's hard to say because obviously all of the reporting right now, the line is stack overflow remains independent, which obviously like, that's true. That's true at this moment in time that they're going to continue to be independent. The team is not changing um quote-unquote no major changes are expected as a result of the takeover but that's also a, a standard i think a standard line when it comes to large acquisitions like this especially when there are communities involved um it, it, it's hard to say though because like if i i think this it's true that this is kind of an innately valuable space to be in right now. Um, and I'm not, sh- I don't know enough about process to know how involved they were with Tencent's business practices. Um, I do think some people were saying online, like, this is good because process like, invested in Tencent before Tencent was making anything like the billions of dollars. They like saw far ahead enough to be like, this is going to be valuable. Let's go in. I think that's a good argument for an investment company. You're doing your you're doing a good job being an investment company. It's not necessarily doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean good things for Stack Overflow, but it also doesn't necessarily mean bad things. So it, it obviously with Yahoo and Tumblr, uh, that was a match that was not. Great. In the end, people had a lot of hope when Yahoo came in that like, they could make Tumblr run better and make the UI changes that the community had been asking for. But at the end, there was this fundamental mismatch between Yahoo culture and Tumblr culture, whereas I think we've talked about in previous podcasts. It kind of seemed like nobody realized how much sexy content was on Tumblr, <laughs> yeah. and so much like, much like when LiveJournal was purchased, and there was a a, a purge of adult content there uh, that everyone got super freaked out about. Similar things happened on Tumblr after that purchase, and that was just sort of you know the Yahoo not doing due diligence, I guess, or or doing due diligence, and then being like, now we've got to get rid of this unsavory <laughs> aspect of this community. But there's not really a parallel to that with Stack Overflow, as far as I know, because it, it's, I mean, it's, it's educational, it's software development. Um, So right. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, correct me if there's like, No,
1: no, I, to, to my knowledge, you're correct. I mean, there is like an open source component where people might be able to technically have like, their own stack overflow style things that maybe are about that type of content, but that's not what it is. I think my fear is, you know, you're not looking at maybe like a purge of that type of content, but if you come in and you start changing either how content is ranked or how stuff shows up or what tools people have to do things, or if you don't invest in giving, you know, the mods and some of the users more of those features because you want to suck more money out or you want to direct people towards, you know, your Udemy courses, your Codecademy courses, you know what I mean? Like if you start to optimize for those things and those synergies rather than letting the community do what it does best. Yeah. Um. I think that my fear is, and this is what happens with a lot of these things. And ironically, this is something that, that Jeff Adwood wrote about. He wrote about digital sharecroppers um, in 2009 and, and the people who kind of build these platforms and how they're often, you know, ignored by the, by the people who then go on to, you know, make tons of money off of it you know, this is one of those things where you have to tread carefully. And I certainly don't want to say that they will immediately, it'll be a failure because I don't, that, that's not at all, um, a, you know, like a guarantee at all. But there are going to be changes. I don't know if those are going to be good or bad, but there are going to be changes. And I can say from being an outsider, but but observing how Microsoft acquired GitHub, and that was a similar situation where you already had a really strong, community, and you already had kind of an ethos and a culture. And people were, I think, rightfully very worried that that would go away. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think that it has, I think it's changed. And I think that there are certainly people who miss what GitHub was when it was a startup. And there's been some stuff, you know, maybe people don't love all the changes. But I think overall, I would argue that GitHub has been made better under Microsoft. But that also, I know that there was a lot of deliberateness done in terms of trying to continue to let GitHub be GitHub, invest in it the right ways and grow that community because the executives who bought it understood the community was like what they were really getting. I don't have enough insight into prospects to know.
0: Yeah, some people were hoping that uh, Microsoft would actually acquire Stack Overflow as well and like tie in Stack Overflow jobs board with LinkedIn, etc. Um, which obviously didn't happen. But maybe would have made sense as a co-purchase with with github Um, But that didn't happen.
2: I I completely agree with that. And, you know, the difference is I think Stack Overflow and GitHub are are such good uh, comparisons here because they really are core developer tools. If you look at what the outcome is today, Christina, of of Microsoft's acquisition of GitHub, uh, what I see is even more people using Git. I mean, Perforce was a lot more of an option. There were other you know, versioning software options that you had a few years ago. I think what I've seen today is you cannot be a software engineer and not know Git. Uh, I think Microsoft has been an excellent steward, and there, there are things you could critique about it, but I think overall, I would give them an A. What's the difference, though, between Microsoft and an investment firm, mm. right? Yeah, you know, Microsoft wanted to have this to build up their, their tools internally and, and use that tool really well and be a good steward. They dog food this stuff. They understand it. I am really hesitant to think of any industry that investment banking has touched that <laughs> they haven't turned into an S show. I look at the real estate market, look at healthcare. Uh, it just seems to be, look at Toys R Us, right? Uh, like it's the same playbook over and over again. And I think I, I am just terrified that someone whose job it is to extract as much capital as they can from this institution, we depend on, are they going to be good stewards? I was willing to give Microsoft the benefit of the doubt. I'm just not willing to give an investment company the same benefit.
0: All right, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by DoorDash. Did you forget that one thing at the store? Well, now you can get snacks, drinks, and household essentials in 30 minutes with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you with restaurants that you love right now and right to your door. And now you can get the grocery essentials you need with DoorDash too. Get drinks, snacks, and other household del- items delivered in under an hour. Like, for example, if you went to the fancy grocery store instead of the normal grocery store and found that almond flour costs $17 there, what if you did that? And then you were like, but I can't go to another grocery store today. I've already committed to this one. Well, you know what to do. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want from where you want, and your items will be left safely outside your door with a contactless delivery drop off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your neighborhood go tos. Australian listeners, I would love to know what the uh, neighborhood go tos are in your country please tweet at me or choose from your favorite national chain restaurants like Popeye's Chipotle and Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) Oh, I got distracted thinking about Popeye's. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But like, honestly, Popeye's is one of those things where if you, you hear the name of it and your body undergoes a change and is like, (laughs) send it to me. You, you too can have Popeyes extremely quickly with DoorDash. For a limited time, our listener, or you can get almond flour. I don't know. Live your truth. Those are the two options. <laughs> almond flour or Popeyes. <laughs> Choose your fighter. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code ROCKET2021. That's 25% off up to $10 in value and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code ROCKET2021. Don't forget that's code ROCKET2021 for 25% off and your first order with of your first order with DoorDash. Ah, subject to change. Terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. Oh boy. Now I want to
2: like DoorDash some Popeyes. Thank you so much. You should,
1: honestly. I I kind of do too. I wonder. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I <shouldn't, laughs> Christian,
0: would you want do you want some Popeyes, Christian? He's 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 saying yes. He's speaking in full sentences. It's incredible. <laughs> it I, I will I will say, in the midst of recording this podcast, I remembered that I hadn't eaten dinner yet tonight. Um so I am undergoing the sensation. Of desiring Popeyes, but first we've got to talk about this amazing third story. Uh, our dessert for today is this incredible story from Vice. Uh, this wow. one is written so good by Lorenzo Franceschi uh, Bicchiere with uh, additional reporting from Viola Joe, and this rule. So this is a story about a company that was creating cheats for PUBG Mobile in China. So this guy uh, who is going in the article by the uh, codename catfish not because he's catfishing ironically but because he's making money um started mucking around and figure with like online communities much like stack overflow actually <laughs> here's where the conflict of interest comes in uh he learned how to make a cheat for PUBG mobile that was an auto aimer um and started selling it And uh, eventually had so many people wanting it that he needed to kind of build up a company around this, uh, a company which he is calling Cheat Ninja, but which the police are calling Operation Chicken Drumstick um, (laughs) to basically maintain this because Tencent, of course, is constantly updating the game to try to, you know, patch it and also get rid of the ability for cheats to work. So people then need to subscribe to the cheat services so that they can continue to get their updated patched cheats to work with the updated patched game. Um, and this guy and his company ended up making millions of dollars. Um, and this is kind of the story of how that company was built and also how he one day fa- th- found out that uh, two of his closest collaborators had been arrested. Uh, because, of course, Tencent does not want these companies to exist. Fair enough. Um, and basically arrested his two two of his uh, closest collaborators. And the, were, the police were then using those people's messaging accounts to try to ironically catfish catfish and get him to incriminate himself. And he has so far evaded justice um, and is uh, getting out of the cheat game, but is possibly a millionaire after, after going on this wild ride into the world of mobile on- cheat selling in China, and actually globally, because he expanded globally.
2: Uh, I was stunned by this. I mean, y'all suggested the topic and I'm like, all right, some cheat stuff. Um, and then you read the story it starts off with like, he's texting a co-developer on the project and the guy just doesn't show up for work one day. And he's like, that's odd. And then the other developer just uh, just texts him and says, got to go to Shanghai. So he knows what that means. So he starts breaking out the hammer and smashing all the hard drives in his house. Like this was a, a gripping story. And I have to start with the obvious question. Why is this like, illegal? Why are there like, that's just crazy to me that in China, you can like face legal consequences for developing uh, uh, cheats like that is as American as you could possibly be. We would never do that here.
1: Well, yeah, because we're America, <laughs> right. Uh, I love the story. Um, I I used to work with Lorenzo. I knew him when he was an intern, and and I I watched him grow. and His, his work at advice is just fantastic. The story is a must read. It's definitely the best thing you'll read all week. And yeah the the whole the whole saga was so fascinating. Like you, I'm kind of like, why is this illegal? And you know, you're rooting for the guy. You're like, you know, because the, the, he's doing the typical hacker thing, which is you know trying to stay one step ahead of the fuzz you know, make those, make those auto aimers, those cheats work. People want them, right? Like obviously they make the game worse for everybody, but it's a cat and mouse game. It is what it is. It's part of all these things. Um, You kind of want them to be successful. Uh, But yeah, it's a really interesting thing to think about because there have been a lots of various enterprises where people do get into like illegal stuff. If there's malware involved or if they're doing like weird money laundering stuff or whatnot. And that's kind of what I, where I thought this was going but that wasn't really, you know, kind of the the problem here.
0: Um it's really Yeah, he was straight up just selling, you know, just selling something that made it easier to play the game. I I don't know. I I have uh multiple feelings on this. One is that yeah, I do think it's it's excessive to be uh arrested and perhaps jailed for making cheats. Um that being said, boy, it is so annoying. Like as a as a player, oh yeah, it's friggin' it's freaking awful to it's play against people who are using cheats. And this is the situation where, like initially, they were making the cheat uh, that would just function on Android phones, and then they had to make it work only on rooted Android phones uh, because of security issues. And I th- I think just needing to. Uh, be more evasive about the source of the cheat, uh, so they needed to change to change the way that they did it. Um, and uh, I don't know, I don't remember where I was going with that thought. But um, I, I guess I wonder if there are potentially, like, you, if there are potentially security issues to of this they are. that, of course, Tencent yeah. doesn't care about because that's not the reason that they are cracking down on cheaters, but. <laughs>
2: I, I'm sure it could be the pretext, right? Yeah. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong, from this article, they were uh, basically using some different fork of it from an earlier development version of it in order to bypass some stuff, I think. I mean, obviously, if you're asking people to root their Android phone, <laughs> that is a security risk. That's a big deal. And, you know, they're selling a subscription service to this to get people to constantly agree to do it. So... I get it. I just, it's, it's, you know, in some ways like breaking video games. I mean, it's how we understand high level tactics. I just watched a summoning salt video, uh, you know, which is all about the the how we're trying to get the task runs of Super Mario to be as fast, uh, 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 humans to do it as fast as the the computer can do it, right within like frames, within hundred like one frame uh, errors that they're trying to get rid of. Um, you know, in so many ways, like tearing the game apart helps us understand things about the game that then human players. Go and used to do in real life. Uh, The vine jump in Super Mario Two is another good example of that. So um, it's just like it almost ties to our second topic, right? Like when you're talking about this venture capital group buying this, yeah, Tencent is the one that owns PUBG, and they're like they're literally pursuing criminal charges against these people. And I, I just I don't think that's being a good steward, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, video game cheats go back to the game genie. I mean, they probably technically go back earlier than that. I'm sure that on, 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 uh, you know, uh, PC or Commodore or whatever systems there probably were cheats earlier. But, you know, when I think of consoles, you know, like, there's the the game genie. And it's just, it's part for the course. And I will totally acknowledge, like you said, Simone, if you're playing, especially these multiplayer games, and you have, like, the the people who are cheating is a terrible experience. And I don't doubt that. And I, I think that, Tencent has every reason to want to ban those people instantly, to want to patch their software to make it not work, to want to make sure that people who are using cheats are never allowed to compete again or do other stuff again, like do all of that. But these are civil actions, right? Mm. And I do think that you could make a civil case where you're saying, okay, you are now charging money to do something on top of our network and you're making money off top of our service and, and, and we're making gonna, our service you know, worse. Right. And, and, we're, and we're we're gonna go after you like from a civil perspective. I don't know. I think the criminal stuff, but obviously China is a completely different ballgame. I think I think making it a criminal matter is insane. Um, but it's fascinating to like see what these worlds are like and to, to see just how many people the fact that, that this guy can make millions of dollars selling these cheats, you know, in kind of mm-hmm. this underground way shows just what kind of the demand for this is, which I don't know if there's this whole shadow economy with things like PUBG and and Fortnite and and some of the you know the other battle royale games which is really interesting to look at because they are kind of free to play and then when you look at like the the shadow economies that exist within them that's uh, to be totally honest utterly fascinating to me.
0: And I want to briefly point out when we're saying millions of dollars I just went back and found the uh, number 77 million of dollars. <laughs> Wow, Isn't it, so it's not just like I made a million, which is already a, a very large amount. It's a lot of million. Um, and part of I get, the saga of this particular company is that they had initially just been selling them like on WeChat groups and stuff and then decided to make a website and sell cheats. It, like showcase them on the website and sell them like you would sell products. Um, and that that to me is kind of mystifying. I have a hard time... I I see the the demand for it. Obviously, the demand is there. Of course, one wants to have a nice website. We just talked about that, but that also to me feels very much like a, I don't know making a lemonade stand out in the open for your illegal <laughs> yes. doings. Um, so I, oh, I kind no. of don't understand that.
1: <laughs> no, I'm gonna I, yeah, totally. That's that is a great point because that is like literally like poking the bear with the, in the eye with a stick. Right, you're literally like daring to be taken down or sued or or whatever. Um, because usually you go underground. It's kind of like one of the stories we didn't talk about. This we we considered was, uh, you know, uh, Nintendo suing, um, getting a judgment against this, this rom site, and that's another area where it's like, okay, when you started charging money for the roms out in the open, and you started like using that stuff, like. That's when, you know, you're like what did you think was going to happen? Like did you think Nintendo was just <laughs> going to sit back and be like cool? Like, you are know, almost daring <laughs> at Nintendo did that. At that Nintendo point. was like <laughs> Exactly. Nintendo was They're like a famously
2: Ahh. chill company when it comes to their IP.
1: 100%. So yeah, so like Tencent, yeah, like what are what did you think they were going to do? They're like, yeah, we're just going to let yeah. somebody scri- scrape 77 million
0: <laughs> just from this one company off of us. And, and we'll be cool with that. And one of the interesting things, I guess, in the aftermath of this is a final point is that now that Cheat Ninja is shut down, Catfish shut down the website because he was like, I'm going to get arrested. No, thank you. Um, there are copycats that have basically cre- recreated the entire website and are selling their own cheats uh, with like the same branding, same website and everything. Um, so I guess it was maybe a good idea after all. <laughs> we love to we love to have a website (laughs) um but maybe those companies aren't based in china and aren't worried about getting uh immediately arrested well any final thoughts on this before we move on to what we are up to i'll take that as a no (laughs) hey brianna what are you up to this week Oh my God, I
2: am neck deep in Unreal Engine 5. Um, it is very interesting. Uh, I hope at some point in the future I can do a technical review of this. A mm-hmm. uh, lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, they promised things like Basically, being able to throw uh, uh, skeletal meshes in games with infinite uh, verts on it, like a very, very ultra high poly count, and it being able to, you know, basically reduce it on the fly for you, and you know, trying to figure out if it actually lives up to those promises. So, uh, I will have more to say soon on that.
0: Okay, and Christina, what about you?
1: So I'm with baby, and um, then I'm um, I'm I will I will be in Orange County for the first half of next week uh, visiting a friend. I will be working, but I will be in Orange County um, for the first over the weekend and for the first half of next week. But yeah, I'm just with baby right now, like baby who's been remarkably chill. <sighs> can't believe I changed that diaper.
0: Um, I'm also that shocked that you did that while without pause. I was that, talking I, about I know friggin' thirty ninety ti I, or thirty eighty rather. I can't, that this is what like faux motherhood. I don't even know what
1: this is called. anthood. I don't know. This is what it does to you, I guess. I have so much more respect. I already. I always had respect for parents, but I have like so much more like empathy, understanding. Uh. Anyway, so I'm. I'm just with the baby. The baby's the baby's real cool.
0: Cool. Well, I look forward to. Uh. I. I don't know. <laughs> You're continuing anthood.
2: <laughs> can Can I just say it's been shocking to see your Twitter feed to go from <laughs> Taylor Swift and Tech Snark. Now it's nothing but 100% babies. I don't even want to know what your Facebook is like these days. because I mean, must I don't just go be on Baby I, ad, baby I, ad, yeah. I,
1: yeah oh, oh, yeah, Oh yeah. totally. <laughs> I mean, my Amazon has been ruined. Um, but uh, my Amazon, <laughs> like, all they recommend to me is, like, baby stuff. And I'm like, I'm not the mom. Like, how much more clearly they keep wanting my my child's birthday in the app. And I'm like, I'm not the mother.
0: (laughs) But I mean, you are now one of the most valuable, in their eyes, target audiences for advertisements, because you are potentially a mother, (laughs) but you're not. (laughs) I am actually, my Instagram ads, I'm not really doing anything this week, so I'll talk about my Instagram ads. I followed one fancy horse account um, that's located (laughs) in the Netherlands, and now I get these completely unbelievable ads for fancy horses, like people selling Uh thousands, $1,000 horses, $10,000 horses, I get ads being like, the dressage ready stallion for sale in Germany. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I wish, God, I wish that were me, but I I will not be <laughs> buying your stallion. I'm so sorry. Uh, but I am very much enjoying it. I kind of, that's one of the things that I like about Instagram is, you know, like, if you see an ad that you are like, oh, this is going to mess me up. You just click on it. And then suddenly your entire Instagram economy is transformed. Like all I want to see is fancy horses that I can't afford because then I will not be tempted to buy swimsuits and I get to look at fancy right. horses.
1: Oh, which I did today, anyway. incidentally.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, fine. bought a bathing suit today. Yeah. Oh, you bought a bathing suit, not a fancy horse. Okay.
1: Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> as if I could, uh, please, as if I could afford a fancy horse or I, if I could ride one. You, if I could, if, look, Simone, if I ever buy a fancy horse, I promise it'll just be for you. Oh, thank you.
2: Wait, you can't ride a horse. You grew up in the South.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never been on a horse other than, I. yeah, I'm not really? a horse person.
2: Nope. I, I'm not a horse person either, but I mean, you did that all the time growing up. That's just, it, it surprises me. Wow.
0: Uh, Brianna, where can we find you online?
2: Oh, uh, uh, you can find me on the Twitter machine at Brianna Wu.
1: All right. And Christina, what about you? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. And thank you and apologies again for the the baby cries. He's been remarkably good, but sorry for my bad audio.
0: And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DoomQuasar, uh, where I surprisingly don't post a lot of fancy horse content, but I could if I wanted to. And uh, my videos online at uh, YouTube.com slash Polygon. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening this week. If you liked the show, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's a super cool thing that cool people do. And as always, this episode of Rocket is... <laughs> not terminated because i have to tell you about a show called roboism <laughs> really quickly before we go roboism it's a show by alex cox and kathy campbell they explore how artificial intelligence machine learning and digital assistance are affecting our culture Explore the humanity behind the bots that are quickly becoming a part of our everyday life at relay.fm/roboism or search roboism wherever you get your podcasts. And if they have not already, they're going to have to talk about that sexy Samsung rejected model for Samsung's oh, AI. I was
2: just reading that that article, Samantha and Samsung. Then I, then I went to the Rule Thirty Four to no! look at the content, the Reddit that uh, Polygon was talking about, and wow. We weren't lying. They were not lying. Mm. It was factual. (laughs)
0: Well, tune into Roboism for uh, better reasons than that, but also for that. Not for Rule 34, but for good reasons only. Thank you so much, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.